Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hump day. We are halfway through the week. So let's do a little midweek check-in. Are you focusing on self-care, pleasure and joy, and rest? Every single day, those three things, sometimes they can roll themselves up into one. Sometimes it's three separate things, but every single day you need to be making time for that. And if you don't have time for that, then your life is absolutely out of balance and you are not prioritizing the right things because those three factors are what are gonna give us the resilience and the foundation upon which to do everything else that our day requires and to give us the energy and the mental health to you know fully show up in our lives. So again, it's self-care, some act of self-care, setting boundaries, putting your phone away, taking a bath, so many different things that fall under that heading. Maybe do a little bit of a Google search. It's quite extensive what can fall under that and it doesn't mean you have to leave your house or spend any money. In fact, the really important parts of self-care should be things that don't require money. Um, also joy and pleasure and finally rest. So build it in, start planning it the night before the morning of check in midday, but midweek, I want to make sure we're doing good with that because, you know, again, this is suicide prevention and suicide awareness month. And that's part of it, right? Centering our mental health is how we don't let ourselves get to a place where maybe we feel so overwhelmed or so low that we're not really feeling as though this is a place that we want to be, right? So focus on that. As always, question of the night is up on our Loveline IG page. That's in the story. So weigh in on that and DM, slide on in those DMs. So um, let's see, tomorrow, Thursday will be my live stream show. I'm listening live and that's at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, streaming on all the radio.com handles. So that's Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And you can go back and check out all the past episodes. Um, Great show. Today we're gonna be doing some body positivity, talking about sexual self-esteem, and also harm reduction, which is, you know, it's been around for a while, but it's very important. It's lesser known because the sobriety model and 12 steps are really the gold standard, but there's a lot of flaws and a lot of problems in that, and the 12 steps are not for everyone. And that's okay. It's all about options and looking at things with different perspectives, because at the end of the day, what's it about? It's not about meeting the criteria of a program. It's about health. And whatever you need is what you need. And we're going to talk more about that. But before we get there, let's talk some news. So United States coronavirus numbers. Yep, I'm throwing it in your face to remind you to keep wearing a mask. The pandemic is far from over. We need to still wear a mask. Confirmed, 6.6 million. Deaths in the U.S., 196,000. 6 million confirmed in the States. Heartbreaking. In the world, 29 million confirmed. And the deaths in the world thus far, 936,000. Too many lives. One is too many. God bless to those going back to work and back to school. We're not ready. I'm sorry, we're just not. 
education and consumerism, it's going to have to wait until next year. I'm, I'm so sad that universities, just to make money, trust me, universities and schools are bringing them back for financial reasons, not because they care, not because they're looking out for anyone, because in fact, everyone needs to be staying home and we'll figure out on the back end how to make things up. But believe me, universities are bringing you back to make money. It's not okay. Um, let's talk about news though. U.S. outlines a plan to provide free COVID vaccines to all Americans. Now you're getting a lot of competing data. I just saw one a minute ago that said we're not going to have them ready till next April. So a lot of different things coming out from a lot of different sources. But here's another one. This is coming from KTLA and saying that the federal government has outlined a plan to make vaccines for COVID-19 available for free to all Americans. Government will still need to wait and see which vaccine trials are successful. Man. But so far, we got some highlights. So this is kind of what we'll be moving towards. Uh, most vaccines will be two doses and, you know, and they're going to be 21 to 28 days apart. So already you see the complexity. It's not just a one-off. You have to get the first one and then you have to track it 21 to 28 days and go get a second. And that's where you have dropout rate. People get the first one. They think it's good enough. They get busy. Too much time goes by. If too much time goes by, do you have to get the first one again? I mean, this is what we're talking about, right? The complexity. Also, the first phase of vaccines would go to health workers and essential employees, people in vulnerable groups. I'm all about that. Then the second and third phase would expand to just the rest of the country. Vaccines will be free of charge and patients won't be charged out of pocket. I think that's the really valuable thing. No word though on when they'll be ready. You know, also Coyote Ugly, it's a bar famous from New York City. I've never been actually, but there's a film made about it. It's going to be closing down because of coronavirus. Heartbreaking. A lot of bars here in West Hollywood have been closing down. Iconic ones. Just how it's going right now. After almost 28 years, the famous Coyote Ugly bar will be shutting down forever. The just can't afford to stay in business. The owner announced that the bar just can't keep going. It opened in 93 in Manhattan, New York and inspired the movie in 2000. Oh, sigh. I know a lot of things are lost that won't come back, but you know what? When things are removed, new things emerge. So I'm going to hold hope and cross my fingers and sit in curiosity to see what comes next. I know it's hard and uh, we're all doing the best we can. So I know it's, it's always something with this, but here, I mean, here's something interesting and some good news. So there's in Kentucky, God bless it, but I think other places might fall suit. They have theme, a theme park that's been closed, but they're open and available for families, right? That have self-isolated to rent the entire park. That's kind of rad. I mean, depending on what it costs, Beach Bend Amusement Park in Splash Lagoon has been shut down since March, but it's finding a way to get people back inside by offering the park to be rented for families. Six to eight hours. Come on, that's amazing. The starting rate for a family of six is $5,000 for two hour rental. Can be rented for up to eight hours. Larger groups, larger than six can be accommodated if they call in advance. So safety precautions, that's not a small amount of money. Maybe though families can put some money together and go. Wear those masks though. All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about harm reduction in terms of sobriety and addiction. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All righty, we're back. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline AG page in the stories. All right, we're going to talk about something that's not very well known, especially even in the field of psychology and therapy, even in addictionology. This is something that I had to stumble upon because the gold standard is if someone's struggling in any way, shape or form with drugs and alcohol, they must be an addict and what they need is complete sobriety. And that is actually not true. Now, the issue is when we try to diagnose uh, adolescents with addiction, we can't. 
Adolescence is a time of exploration and misuse of a lot of things. And so I don't support the idea of getting a teenager sober and not having them ever drink or use drugs again. For many, that's not realistic. And it implies that were they as an adult to return to use as an adult in a healthy way, that they've somehow relapsed. And that's just not true. And so we need to go a little lighter on diagnosing teenagers with the word addiction because we just can't really truly assess it. Now, when we move into later adulthood, it becomes a little clearer because finally your judgment's on control, uh, uh, your judgment, your prefrontal cortex is more online. You have more boundaries, more impulse control. You also have more meaning and value in your life and something to compete with that. So I don't believe in calling adolescents addicts. And um, just because as an adolescent, you maybe struggle with your exploration around drugs or alcohol, that doesn't mean you're an addict forever. Because in terms of the stats, only 10% of people that use drugs or alcohol have a true addiction, 10%. The other 90% are just people that are misusing it at times or just casual users and don't have any larger issue. 90% do all right. It's the 10% that truly have an issue. And we want to be thoughtful about that. We don't want to overdiagnose people. The other thing we're finally learning is addiction is not a disease. And that's something that was debunked a long time ago. And when we, you know, and that was only brought forward as a way to really remove shame and stigma around, you know, alcohol misuse and drug and alcohol stuff. But uh, we now know it's more of an attachment issue. Um, and that sobriety is really about reconnecting to people, places, and things that have meaning and value. And that's what long-term sobriety is. It's really rooted in building a life that hold, holds more meaning and value. And often, you know, when people are missing out on having or living in a world where they have access to things that, again, make them happy, have value, passion, that's when they tend to really over-rely on drugs and alcohol. So the work isn't excuse me, about just removing the drugs and alcohol. It's about looking at the environment in which that was created, right? Because drug and alcohol addiction is a symptom of something else. That's not the problem in its totality. So just removing drugs and alcohol resolve nothing. The Whatever's driving that still remains undiagnosed. My concern is a lot of treatment centers don't even have licensed therapists on staff. They have people that are not licensed therapists doing therapy. And what they're often doing is just using a 12-step model, talking about the steps and sponsorship. That is not addressing the trauma. It's very much rooted to a trauma response. And if if we don't do trauma work or true mental health work, then we're not actually resolving the mental health cause. We're just working on the superficial top and that leads to relapse and that re- leads to them not moving forward with a big quality of life. Um, now, the other thing we need to be paying attention to is the idea that total abstinence is not the right goal for everyone and that's not something everyone can pull off. Now, traditionally, if someone goes into a treatment center or a therapy for depression or anxiety and they're currently in the throes of it or they do better and then it comes back, we keep working with them. Why is it within drugs and alcohol, if someone struggles or they come in struggling, we kick them out and say they're not serious? You will get kicked out of a treatment program for still being for still struggling with the issue you entered with. We would never kick someone out of inpatient trauma work if they're still dealing with trauma or they're still depressed. We need to hold space for staying connected to people with addictions because what makes it worse is when we disconnect. What makes it worse is when we remove them. Yes, we need to set boundaries. Yes, we need to take care of ourselves, but I don't believe in letting people hit rock bottom. That is not part of the harm reduction model. That actually can make things worse. What we need to do is set boundaries but stay present in their life. People that are struggling with any mental health issue, including addiction, need anchors and good people in their life. They need to know people are still there for them and care for them. That doesn't mean it's easy. It is not enabling to keep them in their li- your life, and it is not enabling to help them not have to hit rock bottom. Yes, I recommend helping them get out of trouble. That's not keeping the drug and alcohol use going. That's looking out for them. That's actually helping them move more towards recovery. Kicking them out, booting them out, letting them hit rock bottom often leads to death. And it often often leads to amplified use. We need to stay close. We need to stay connected. And that's part of the harm reduction model. And not everyone's 
you know, process is going to be complete sobriety built into the model of change. We always expect relapse, whatever we're talking about, someone trying to create a workout plan, someone trying to focus more on wellness, someone trying to be a better person, whatever it is, you are not going to make a consistent gain. It's not a linear process. It's circular. We expect everyone to backslide. That is human nature and behavior. And that is also part of any mental health thing, including drugs and alcohol. We need to not punish the individual for struggling. We need to expect that. We can't punish someone when their depression returns. We don't punish someone if an injury re reignites. We don't punish someone if their cancer comes back. We should not be punishing people because their drug and alcohol stuff isn't completely resolved. But the expectation they're gonna get sober and stay sober isn't appropriate for everyone. So for some people, it's harm reduction. How can we make the harm be reduced? How can we help you use safer? How can we help reduce some of the use? Maybe you drink less nights, or you drink less when you do drink, or we make sure you're staying hydrated and eating while you're drinking, right? We're, ta- we're, we're making sure you know how to test your drugs for quality. We're talking about letting someone know where you are when you're using and checking in on you. We're talking about having Narcon so that if someone has an OD, you can revive them. We're talking about removing the shame and the stigma. We're talking about accepting that for some people, drug use and alcohol is something they want in their lives. Not everyone wants to live a life rooted in complete sobriety. We're now also having to accommodate plant medicine and cannabis use, which I'm full support of. For some people, sobriety, cannabis use will be part of it. Yes, you can be sober and still using medicinal marijuana. Yes, that can be part of some people's recovery. Some people also be on pharmaceuticals because the goal isn't purity. The goal isn't AA, whatever AA wants. The goal is mental health. The goal is life improvement. The goal is well-being. And AA is one outlet. It's not always right. And it assumes that if you're there, you need to be there. It assumes that you can't use anything if you have an issue with one thing, and that's not true. Some people need to stay off drugs and alcohol. I'm sorry. Some people need to stay off drugs, but they can drink. Some people can drink, but need to stay away from drugs. Some people need to stay away from hard drugs and alcohol, but cannabis is an appropriate part of their mental health plan. I work with people on whatever their needs are and meet them where they're at. I don't go in there with a standard rigid definition that I force them to apply to, and then I punish them if they fail. We're going to take a little break, two minutes, we'll be back, and then we're going to talk more about harm reduction and addiction. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about harm reduction, which is something most people aren't familiar with, including a lot of therapists. So if you want to work with someone on your addiction, I recommend you finding someone who comes from a harm reduction model, which sometimes includes total sobriety. Sometimes it includes staying away from just drugs. Sometimes it includes staying away from just alcohol. Sometimes it includes removing hard drugs and alcohol, but maintaining use of cannabis, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes it means to learn to use drugs in a safer capacity so that your life isn't threatened. Letting friends know where you are and that you're using and having them check in, having things like Narcon in case someone ODs, if you're around people that consistently use, talking about clean needle use, talking about needle exchanges, also talking about staying hydrated and eating foods. Uh, When we're in, um, what do you call it, music, what do they call it? Music festival season. I was talking about safer use of drugs because some people are going to use drugs. And if you're going to use them, cool, you're an adult. You make your decisions. I'm going to teach you how to use them safer. And I went through how to use MDMA safer and I went through all the different drugs. And I'll talk more about that because it is what it is. I'm not here to police someone's behavior. I'm not a police officer. I don't want to be. I, I don't work for the law. I am a therapist and I want people to have mental health and well being. And I will meet you where you're at. And for some individuals, addiction does not mean total sobriety. And that's okay. We'll talk about it. So, what are the 
principles of a harm reduction model, which I think is what we need to move more towards. We use that with sex. We don't say don't have sex because you don't need to not have sex and people will have sex. How do you have sex though safer? We know you're gonna do it, how can you do it safer? And this should be the same thing with drugs and alcohol, but we never talk about it. And that's why I think a lot of people approach drug and alcohol use really problematically. And that doesn't mean they're an addict. Just because someone's drug and alcohol use is creating a problem doesn't mean it needs to be removed. It doesn't mean they're an addict. It doesn't mean they need AA and sobriety. Sometimes it means they need to sit down and look at how can we use drugs and alcohol in a safer way. That is part of mental health. So the principles of harm reduction is looking at practical strategies and ideas that reduce the negative consequences. That's all we're looking to do, right? Um, And it's also built on social justice and looking at the rights for people and the right for people to use drugs. Everyone has a right to be treated with respect and care, including drug users. And often whether we're talking about the criminal injustice system or we're talking about the psychology system, often drug and alcohol users are treated poorly. I worked in the inpatient treatment centers for well over a decade and I was heartbroken to hear the way they were treated. The people that worked there would say things like, oh, you know, anything that comes out of an addict's mouth is a lie, addicts can't be trusted. And I remember thinking, you really hate them. Why are you working here? Like, what is that about for you? And so I think often the best people working drug and alcohol work are people that aren't in recovery themselves because they're not biased. And the work needs to be more than just 12 steps. Not everyone should be in the 12 steps. It's not right for everyone. People shouldn't be forced to go. We know that therapy and healing is not something you should or can force on someone. That is the legal system. We are trying to move away from the carceral system. Stop punishing and forcing people. I meet my clients where they're at, right? And so number one, I accept people where they're at, right? Because drug use and alcohol is a choice that some people make, but we wanna reduce the harm, right? We're looking out for people. Also, it's very complex. It's not as simple as you use, you're an addict, you have a disease, stop using. It's not a disease, we know that. And there's many different ways for people to improve their life around it. I want people to stay connected to meaning and passion in their lives. Viktor Frankl, The Man's Search for Meaning, was one of those beautiful books, unrelated to drug and alcohol use, but talked about how if we can find meaning and purpose for any struggle, we can get through. And I do believe the key to staying sober or better with drugs and alcohol is finding meaning and value in other things, other things that don't allow you to misuse what you're using. But we need to be non-judgmental and non-coercive. And I see the opposite. People are mandated legally into therapy. People are mandated into 12-step programs. That doesn't work. It has for some. Because remember, only 10% of the people that use drugs and alcohol lead to an addiction level. 90% don't. And we need to be able to accommodate all of those people, right? And so it's not just a matter of removal. We have to be able to do the trauma work. Look at the environment from which the symptom emerges. It's a symptom. We have to look at poverty, class, racism, trauma, discrimination, right? So there's so much more work we have to do, but I advise anyone struggling with drug and alcohol use, find a harm reduction model therapist, someone who will meet you where you're at. They won't shame you and they won't boot you out of treatment and call you resistant if you're failing with your mental health stuff. That is part of why you're there. If you didn't need help and you can nail it on your own, you wouldn't even need to show up. So we can't punish people and call them non-compliant for being where they're at and struggling, which is what we need to expect. So the addiction field needs to do a 180 and really check itself because it does some really damaging stuff and often ignores the trauma work. So we're going to keep talking about this stuff because we're, we're in an evolution where we're moving towards really expanding options and perspectives. And, you know, we're moving away from the disease model and the medical model. And we're understanding that it's a larger context and we're doing the attachment based work. And it's really, really a beautiful, stunning thing. Um, 
All right, coming up, we're gonna be doing DMs and then we're gonna be talking about sexual self-esteem. Super stoked on that one because I'm gonna announce very soon on my social media that I'm gonna put together an online group. An online group, we will meet as a group weekly online so anyone around the world can be a part of it and we're gonna be doing um, sex, healthy sex and relationship group. And we're gonna be doing all sorts of cognitive behavioral stuff, a lot of psychoed, looking at our family history, the way we're dating now and trying to improve our sexuality, our relational health, our marital health. And it will, of course, include some body positivity. Um, awesome stuff. I'm going to announce it soon. So look out for that. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore the confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, I want to remain anonymous always, but I feel like I really need your help. I have a daughter who's seven years old. My sister has two boys. Uh, Jack, we'll call him, is the oldest of them all. He's 11. Within the past two years, Jack has had a lot of behavioral issues, and my sister isn't doing anything to fix them. Last year, Jack tried to make James and my daughter kiss and touch each other. We caught them, and it took my daughter immediately. Earlier this year, before the pandemic, my sister needed me to watch Jack and James. These are the names that were kind of given the two children, so I agreed. I found Jack using our smart TV to search porn on YouTube. A week later, turns out he bought some X-rated things on the TV. About a month ago, somehow Jack stole a random credit card, racked up 10K. Police were called. Jack needs help. I don't trust my daughter around him at all. But my sister's in denial. She thinks maybe he has autism. But Dr. Chris, that's definitely not the case. He needs help. How can I convince her to help him before his life is ruined? First off, um, sexual exploration is normal. So don't panic about the touching and kissing. What you do need to do is start to talk to your kids about sex. That's what, that, that's what I'm learning first, is no one has talked to these kids about sex, about consent, about boundaries, about pleasure. Touching feels good. Uh, we might have the impulse to explore. We want to ask people before we touch them. We don't ever want to force ourselves on someone. We want to ask. We need sex education. That's what I'm hearing. Everyone here that's listening, start talking to your kids from birth about consent and touch and their bodies and pleasure. Um, don't shame them. It's not bad. It's going to happen. But sexual exploration is a part of youth. So I'm not worried about that at all. I'm worried. I'm not worried about them actually trying to find porn either. That is a natural part of us having technology. But again, we need some porn literacy. Someone needs to also talk to little Jack about the fact that that is made for adults. It is not made for children. Yes, it's very interesting. So what I'm hearing is a very severe lack of sex positivity and sexual health and sex education. Please, please, please talk to all children about that. Because as you're learning, children at some point, eight, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 15 will start to approach sexuality and pleasure, touching themselves, touching others. We need to talk about boundaries and consent. We can prevent and, and, and usher children into a really healthy relationship to their bodies and arousal. And that's severely, 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 severely lacking. So address that. Number two, you're, you can't make anyone do anything. And that's one of the hardest things I have to tell people. You can't force your sister to address something she's not ready to address. You can't. And so the most difficult thing is sometimes we have to step away or we have to lean out of the battle. You set boundaries. You don't let your daughter see them alone. You make sure you're always present. You offer your sister support and resources. And if she's not willing to take them, you lovingly let go. All parents have to do with their children too. Their children might enter a relationship, a career, or whatever it is. And you don't like what's happening and you have to just offer advice and support, give them resources, and otherwise you back away and let go. If your sister is not complaining, you have to let go. We, unfortunately, parents get to raise their kids however they want. I say that unfortunately because sometimes it's 
traumatically. Sometimes it's with racism. Um, and so again, lovingly support your sister. Let her know you're there for her. Try to stop blaming. I understand you're scared, you're triggered, you care about Jack, but you need to be grounded, supportive, talk to her, offer resources, and then you need to step away. We can't, we can't try to parent someone else's child. We just can't. Uh, Slime the Dams is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. I mean, that's the difficulty is we can't control other people and I'm glad we can't. All we can do is be present, offer support, often offer resources, and that's the best we can do. We have to let go otherwise. We have to let people live their lives, you know? Um, I'm sorry to hear that you're struggling. Your sister is struggling though. Um, all right, a question of the night. That will be coming up soon. So go onto our Loveline IG page in the stories and weigh in on that. We'll be breaking that on down. Uh, coming up next though, we're gonna be talking about sexual self-esteem. There's so much rolled up into that. I think it's really important and something that we don't often recognize or work on, which means it just kind of runs wild unaddressed and it can create a lot of problems. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. So interesting concepts. Not not everyone's familiar with some of these sexological terms. And that's because, you know, again, we don't have a world that really honors the study or exploration of sexuality. People in psychology and therapy aren't even trained in it. And you have to actually go get a certification to really be able to do this work and to be, you know, proficient at the work. And so when we talk about things like body esteem or sexual self-esteem, this is a very foreign concept to a lot of people. But yet, whether you're aware of it or not, it's there, it exists. So our sexual self-esteem is this multifaceted constellation. It includes so many different things. It includes our relationship to our sexuality, includes our relationship to our arousal template, which is all the things that turn us on. It involves our relationship to our total body, but especially our sexual body. It, it involves our relationship to how attractive we feel out in the world. Um, traumas in there, also in an intersectional lens, our relationship to our sexuality in the context of whatever race we are, body shape or size, class, gender expression. It includes how how much we uh, do safer self practices, safer sex practices. Because remember, safer sex isn't just about barriers and it's not just about STDs and STIs. There's a psychological and emotional component that's always left out of the conversation. Safer sex includes being safe about the impact the sex we're having and our partner choice has on our self-worth. Because we have a sexual psychology. Our sexuality has its own psychology and that's impacted by the partner choice, how our partners make us feel. Do we have sex with people that make us feel good, better about our body, about what turns us on? Or do we have sex with people that leave us feeling emotionally worse, empty, depleted, negative? That is not safe sex. It's not sexual health, right? Sexual health always looks at the impact everything we're doing is having on us. So when we talk about sexual self-esteem, partner choice, let's talk about that even more. Are they shaming you, your body, the kinds of things that turn you on? Are they kink shamers? Because again, sexual self-esteem is being able to confidently express what turns you on and not having a partner mock it or put it down or say it's gross or weird. We've talked about this in the past. When someone tells you who they are sexually, whether you're turned on or interested in it or not, you first say, okay, or thank you. Thank you for caring enough to share yourself with me. But we don't say, ooh, gross, bad, right or wrong. You just say, yeah, I'm down with that. No, I'm not. Or what, in what way might I be willing to engage that, right? It's checking in on yourself before sex, during sex, and after sex. How do I feel? Do I feel interested in what's about to happen? How do I feel during it? And how do I feel after I have that sex? Because some people that don't feel good about their bodies or themselves, their general self-worth, their general self-esteem, sometimes it's being eroded at or targeted by the sex they're having and the partner choice. And they're not aware of that. They're like, why don't I feel great at work or in the world or as a parent? Well, that's because maybe the partners you're having sex with or the kind of sex you're having is not aligned with self-care, 
right? Self-care matters in terms of this. It's not just ever sex. You're an open system. Everything you have, every time you engage with a person, it leaves an imprint on your psyche, on your self-esteem. So it does matter. It's never just a fling, just a hookup, just, just a trick. Your self-worth and your self-esteem is tied to all of that, right? So I want people to be very, 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 very thoughtful about the kind of sex they're having. Now, right now in, times, in terms of COVID, in the times of COVID, it's even more imperative because it's not just about STDs, STIs. It's not just about the psychological and emotional impact. It's also this larger infection that we have to look at. So just like we have to ask people, hey, when was the last time you were tested? How often do you get tested? What were your test results? You know, what kind of sex were you engaging in since you were last tested? We, we need to ask that about COVID. What kind of COVID precautions are you taking? Are you self-isolating with any others? What, what kind of precautions are they taking? Why, how high risk is your behavior and is their behavior? What am I maybe getting set up for? When's the last time you were tested for COVID? Were you tested? These now need to be part of our dating and sex conversation. It's, it's wild, but if you're not ready or mature enough to ask those questions and you're not ready or mature enough to have sex because you're possibly gonna be having very problematic, toxic, unhealthy dating relationships and sexuality around that, I want people to do the work to be able to have that kind of conversation, practice that with others, partners, but we need to be able to talk in those ways. I'm nervous for couples if they can't have that conversation, what other difficult but important conversations are they not able to have? So we need to get in the habit of doing that. It's called transparency, it's called honesty, it's called being an adult. And you know, healthy sex is for adults. And so do that work. Uh, call yourself out if you're not doing that. But I want us to pay attention to the impact that the kind of sex we're having, our partner choice and all that on ourselves. And make sure it's not just shame. We all have cultural shame to work through. Make sure it's not just that. And that's why I'm putting together an online group. And that's why I do sex therapy. That's why I wrote the books I wrote, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love. Because there's really not a lot of outlets or resources. We don't have a lot of that value reflected back. A lot of things are constantly mocking and shaming all those different elements. And so we have to really do the difficult work. Um, okay. Enough of that. Coming up next, though, we're going to do a little body positive segment. We always got to weave that in. It's an important part of mental health, especially more and more these days. I know me personally, I'm burnt out. Every two seconds on my social media is another ad for a workout piece of equipment. Like, Lord knows what I clicked on, but now I'm flooded with them. And it feels very body shaming. It's like constantly poking me, saying, you need to look this way. You need to be working out. And guess what? I don't. I look hot no matter what my body's up to. I'm able to be sexual no matter what my body looks like or it's up to. And yes, I need to exercise and move my body, but I don't need those pieces of equipment and I don't need to have rock hard abs. You know what I'm saying? All right, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Time for a little body positivity. So what does that mean? That means removing the focus away from your body. What does body positivity mean right now? It means not assessing your body. Your worth and your mood Right now, we've been socialized to tie them to our body. If we're feeling good about our body and it's looking the way we think it should look and we want it to look, good mood. We feel good about ourselves. If not, bad mood, bad about ourselves. I want it to be body neutrality where it doesn't matter. We're eating good foods that make us happy and feel good. We're moving our bodies every day and whatever it looks like after that is what it looks like. It doesn't need to look a certain way. We don't need rock hard abs. We don't need all these exercise things that are blasted all over. We just need to move our bodies and eat foods that are healthy and feel good to us, period, end of story. And it is what it is. I've had to do a lot of work to get to that place where, you know, and a lot of the bodies we think we need or want to have are not ones we can get because of our genetics. It's not as simple as calories in and calories out. It's not as simple as work harder. 
Your genetics set a limit. You can only achieve so much due to your genetics. Sorry to be the one to tell you that. And to push beyond that, we have to engage in toxic diet culture and start starving ourselves, weighing our food, limiting ourselves, caloric deficits. None of that is mentally healthy. None of that's physically healthy. And often we'd have to overtrain and maybe take supplements like steroids. And to, and for what? Why? To what end? So you can lay on your couch watching shows or raising your kids with a great body? No one cares. On your deathbed, you're not going to wish your body was more rock hard abs. Come on, y'all. Let's do better than that. So let's stop paying attention to our body. Stop looking in the mirror. Stop checking yourself out. Stop posting pictures after the gym. No one needs to see that. You're just reinforcing that cycle of reminding people to check in and do they look like that. I know every time I see those stupid gym selfies, I'm going, how do I look? What do I look like? And I'm like, oh my God, see? this photo just pulled me into that. So I unfollow all of that as best as I can. I've unfollowed all of that because I want us to follow things that make us feel good. Follow things that reflect back the kind of body you have and how you want to feel. And there's so much mess out there. Toxic diet and gym culture. Get rid of all of it. Move your body every day. Intuitive movement. What does my body feel like doing today? Do I want to lift some weights, go for a run, stretch, do yoga? Do I want to just rest? right? Exercise is not always better. It's not always a good thing. The more, the better is not true. Sometimes your system's overloaded and it's bad for you and you need to just sleep, rest, or nap or sit, right? Eat foods that make you smile. That's part of mental health. It's just a cookie. You'll be okay. It's okay to put weight on, especially right now, but especially always. That's okay. Our goal shouldn't be weight loss at all costs. There was a time when we focused more on what kind of person are we, and now we focus on what kind of body do I have. Let's go back to just being good people. Let's go back to focusing on living lives that make us feel good. That's why I'm saying self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. I'm not saying work out hard, go on a meal plan, and starve yourself. That's not mental health. And the definitions we use for health, especially around health and fitness, often leave out the mental impact. How do you feel during all this? Restricted, sad, depressed? Are you missing your friends? Are you missing going out with them? Are you missing restaurants? That's not health. You know, and all these chemical supplements, that's not health. We need to do better. And that's why, you know, if you're struggling with some of this stuff, get into therapy. I love doing some of this work with individuals. Look for an, an anti-diet dietitian. Look for someone who's in the health at every size movement. Look for a body positive health at every size trainer where the work will be about feeling good, strength, pushing your body. They'll never talk about count, counting calories. They'll never weigh you. They'll never measure you. They'll never look at your fat and muscle percentage because none of that matters. And your genetics are a limit as well. They'll say, how do you feel? I want you to feel better. Do you have more energy? Do you feel more alive? And an anti-diet dietitian won't put you on a diet. They'll teach you how to eat intuitively. What is your body asking for? Because a lot of the binging at night is because we've been restricting all day. You're not a binge eater. You've been restricting all day. If we eat when we're hungry, we will naturally eat the right amounts. But we have to reset that. And it is something we are so disconnected from. We are so disconnected from our body's signals. You are told all day long in school to sit still, disconnected from your body signals. You're not allowed to move, disconnected from your body signals. Then you go to do yoga or dance or gym and we're having our bodies literally forced by someone else into a position that might not feel good, not honoring body signals. You're not even allowed in certain situations to just go to the bathroom like school, not honoring body signals. We talk about counting calories and meal planning, not honoring body signals. We are so disconnected from our bodies that we don't even know how to listen to them. We were talking on another episode about vaginismus, painful vaginal penetration, because we don't listen to our body 
these signals. If it hurts to be penetrated, it's your body telling you, I don't want to have sex right now, or I don't want to have sex with this person, or I don't trust this person, or I don't feel good right now, or I want something else. But we're disconnected from our body signals. And instead, we try to force penetration. Same thing I was saying about erectile stuff. We want our, our penises to get hard, stay hard the way we want. Instead of honoring our body signals, ah, I'm losing my erection. Clearly, I'm disconnected, not enjoying this, need to do something else, have non-penetrative sex. We need to start listening to our bodies. That is truly body positivity, not forcing it. When I do yoga classes, I tell them, please don't give me adjustments. I'm going to follow what you're offering. I'm going to listen to my body. And sometimes I'll be stopping, avoiding certain movements or not going deep enough if my body is communicating pain or discomfort. Same reason why I don't use a trainer at the gym. I intuitively go in there and say, what does my body want to do today? And I leave when my body says we've done enough. That is body positivity. And that is intuitive eating and intuitive working out. And I really want therapists that are listening to do better about this stuff. Some disordered eating work is actually reinforcing the problem and it's not bringing them back to their, to listening to their body. And that's why I see an anti-diet dietitian use trainers that are body positive health at every size and look for a therapist that really understands this work because there's some bad stuff going on out there. But this is also in my book, rebel love. There's a whole lot of stuff in there. So check that out. Um, all right. Coming up next is question of the night. So still a little bit of time that's on our love line IG page in the stories. It's always there every single day. And, uh, then we'll be doing some DMS. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, time for question of the night. According to the New York Post, 50% of couples say it's been difficult to keep the spark alive during the pandemic. Couples haven't gone on a trip for an average of seven months. Excuse me, seven months. 38% say they've tried road trips, but they don't work out. What are you planning with your boo once quarantine is over? Oh, I love that. Once this is all over, what's the big plan? <laughs> what are you working towards? How are you going to reconnect? How are you going to get out there? Because that's an important part of keeping a relationship fun. I don't care what the relationship is, friend, partner. Look, we don't just have our friend over and just sit there every single time. Some people do. Sounds boring to me. We get out and do stuff. We got to do it with partners. You got to have a date night always, no matter how long you've been together, still plan things together. We enjoy a relationship when we're out doing things, but we love comfort and familiarity. We want to make every night a blockbuster night. That's horrible. Even in COVID, go for picnics, go for walks, sit online and do, an, a, do a tour of a, a museum. Go, go want, like there's so much we can still do, especially after Corona. Keep it fresh, keep it new. Remember, even if you've been married for 20 years, you still have to keep flirting and attracting. It's an active system. It's not just a box to check off. That's how it gets flat. Ah, I'm done. I gotcha. No, you got to keep going. So I love this question. What are you planning to do with your boo once quarantine is over? First person said to leave him and go on a girl's trip. I love it. You've been with this person round the clock quarantine. Maybe you need time away. Maybe that's the work. Go with your friends, go with your family members, healthy relationships, support that. They value that. I hope he says, I'll do the same. I'll go see friends. I'll go see family members or I'll stay home and do whatever, but I love you. I want you to feel good. Go out and experience the world. That's a healthy relationship. If your partner's saying the opposite, you're in an emotionally abusive one. It's toxic. If they're like, no, if I'm not going, you're not going, or I don't want you doing things. If I'm not doing things, they would say, look, I'm responsible for my happiness. I'm glad you're looking out for yours. You have my full support when you're happy. I'm happy. That's a healthy relationship. Uh, question of the night is what are you planning with your boo once quarantine's over? Someone said travel for sure. Booking our tickets now. Smart move. Those tickets are very cheap. Book them ahead of time. Someone else said getting married. Oh, wow. I'm glad you're one of those people that waited. I think the people that are rushing it, I, I, I don't know why. What's the rush? You know, making people travel right now. Come on. That's not kind. 
Um, the ones that are online, sure, do your thing. You know what I mean? Small gathering, sure, if it's local. But wait, have it the way you want. Wait, what is the rush? Some people are in such a rush. Like, if the commitment, love, and care is there, it's just a formality. It's just a celebration. We can do that anytime. You know, breathe. It's kind of like the people who aren't able to have the birthday party of their dreams right now or the holiday. It'll be okay. There's more to come. Chill, chill, chill. Some people are, you know, a little panicky. Not everyone honors that stuff. Some people do. All right. Question night. What are you planning with your boo once quarantine's over? Someone said a long vacation together. Maybe Hawaii. It's on my list too. Uh, me and my boo are planning a lot of trips next year. Uh, I want to, we're actually the way it's looking now, at least once a month, I'm going to be taking extended weekends away. I earned it. I haven't done anything this whole year. Next year, I'm going to travel at least once a month, at least. Oh man, I can't wait. What are you planning with your boo once quarantine's over? Someone said, my boo and I have had a great quarantine. The spark definitely intensified. So taking trips will be a plus. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. For some people, this has been good for them. Maybe they're usually too, too much time apart and now they're loving being with each other or they've learned more about each other or they're just managing this really well, togetherness and separateness, right? So much is coming out of this. Again, question tonight is what do you plan with your boo once quarantine is over? Because New York Post was showing in a study that 50% of couples said it's been really hard to keep the spark alive during the pandemic. That's because a lot of familiarity and consistency. It's every day is... Like the other day, you know what I mean? That old Groundhog Day story. So it's all about try to change it up. Take some time apart, right? Um, what are you planning when it's all over? Someone said road trip to the Grand Canyon. Oh, I've never been there. That sounds like Niagara Falls to me. Just a stunning piece of nature. Iconic, beautiful. Someone else said meet more of each other's families. Yeah, I met my booze family for the first time over uh, online, FaceTime. Hey, Hi. <laughs> we're doing the best we can right now though, right? We're dropping the bar for ourselves, right? We're dropping the bar. We're not different expectations than we normally have. We're, we're looking for 60% at, at most, not hundred percent. We're doing 60. 60 is the best we got right now. Uh, what are you planning with your boo once quarantine's over? Someone said already booked Miami in February. I love it. I love it. I love it. Y'all do what you can do. And for those that can't afford to take a big trip, that's fine. There's so many local things to do. Just go to the park, go to a museum. I love that. Art galleries. I love art galleries. Love, love, love art galleries. They're free. They're they're fun. They're stunning. There's a lot to engage, a lot to talk about, right? I love wandering around. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? I love that stuff. Um, also interesting. There's concerts outdoors now, movies outdoors, boat in boats, in drive-ins. I mean, there's people are really creating access in really expansive, diverse ways. So kind of Google around a little bit, you know what I mean? Like cheap, easy, free things to do during COVID because those things do exist. So um, check them out. So um, that is our question of the night. The next question of the night is up right now on our Loveline IG page and the stories. So weigh in on that. Also old episodes of Loveline, their podcast at wearechannelq.com, as well as my show I'm listening live, which is celebrities and experts talking about mental health and COVID. And that's on all their radio.com pages, uh, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. It's really good stuff. We go a little bit deeper than these um, celebrities are used to going. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris in the new channel Q and radio.com. And we'll be back in two minutes. All right, y'all, time for those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Find the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore it with confidence. Here we go. Dear Loveline and Dr. Chris, I've heard that the coronavirus vaccine trials have begun. Are we supposed to feel safe? Because I really don't. Oof, I hear you. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I am anti-rushing things like that. Um, many trials, some have stopped due to issues. Our, my actual producer, Alex, is in a trial right now. I'll have to check in with her and see how that's going. 
uh, you know what I mean? Like, look, <laughs> it's getting rushed right now, but we got a lot of people monitoring it. They are looking out for public safety. Things do fall through the cracks. I am pro-vaccine. Yes, I will take the vaccine. I, oh, it's a little shady to say it like this, but I'm not going to be the first batch of it going around because I'm not a frontline worker or a high risk. I'll be getting it later in the game. I'll also get to kind of see what a little bit of months down the road looks like for those people. So yeah, I'm going to delay it as much as possible, but I'm definitely getting it. I'm pro-vaccine for something like this. This is a freaking pandemic. Way too many people are dying. Um, but I appreciate people having a little anxiety. Got another one. Dear Dr. Chris, thank you for taking my question. I was wondering if you had any advice for parents trying to homeschool their kids. We're only a few weeks in, but I got to be honest, this is the hardest thing I've done. Um, so you're not homeschooling your kid. Homeschooling is a different system where the kids only go to school at home. There's a special curriculum. Your kids are going to school from the home. And I know it sounds like semantics, but they're actually very different processes, right? So yeah, a couple things. Number one, try to put them in a separate space that de designates for everyone. That is school. They're in school. Try to remove any distractions. Um, but more importantly, make your kid comfortable. It's different. Sitting in a classroom is different. They can look down, look around, look away. They can listen. On the computer, they need to sit still and just stare at this little screen for hours. That's exhausting for an adult. It's harder for a child. Let the child be a child. Let them wear comfortable clothes. I'm sorry. I do not agree with schools mandating special clothing while on the camera. As long as you're dressed, wear what you need to wear. Let your kid have maybe some drinks by them so they can drink some juice, maybe eat some snacks. Why can they not eat snacks while they're, while they're going to school? I support that they do. Let them move around a little bit. So put them in a comfortable chair, maybe a chair that lets them move around in a comfortable space, in comfortable clothes. Give them breaks. If the teacher doesn't, you do. Your kids need breaks, <laughs> but we're doing the best. So drop the bar for your kid. We don't have high expectations on them. If they're doing 60%, that's great. Congrats. I know this is difficult. Little Billy, little Sally or whoever, you're doing great. I love you. I know this isn't ideal. Drop the bar, lower what the expectations, make them comfortable, set some designated space. And then when they're not in school, let them do whatever the hell they want. Let them play as many hours as they want of video games. Let them watch all the movies in the world. Let them stay up late. Let them eat some junk food. You know what I mean? Like, just let him be a kid. More joy, more pleasure, more fun. This isn't a time to be a stickler. This isn't a time to be overly structured and scheduled. Don't stress yourself out. Don't stress them out. It's okay if they miss some lessons. They don't need to know that stuff anyway. We just want to get through this intact. Focus on fun, joy, and mental health and self-care, all right? Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. They want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. As I said, Loveline is always podcasted over at We Are Channel Q. Check them out. It's good stuff. Lots of celebrities in the past. Now it's more on the I'm Listening Live. We're going to be bringing some back, though. But you can post them, share them, binge them. And also, I'm Listening Live is on all the radio.com handles. So check that out. Question of the night's always up. So be weighing in on that. And uh, remember, focus on self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest every single day. At the end of the day, check in on yourself. Have I centered that? And if I haven't, how can I? And as always, we're trying to destigmatize mental health. So ask yourself and those around you, how's your mental health? Not how you doing, how's your mental health? It's a different question. Be the kind of person that's there to listen. Let them know that you're the person they can go to and normalize asking, responding, and hearing about mental health. I'm trying to do more of that on my own social media by posting. So follow me on Instagram at Dr. Donahue, on Twitter at Chris Donahue. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me and you all have a beautiful, beautiful night.